0: this episode of real ag radio is brought to you by intruvix herbicide from fmc intruvix herbicide gives you the best of both worlds fast burning activity and long-lasting systemic action for more consistent broadleaf control pre-seed to cereals see your local retailer today
1: it's time for real ag radio on rural radio channel 147 on sirius xm Real Ag Radio and realagculture.com is your home for insight and analysis of the issues that are impacting your farm business. Let's get real and get connected with Real Ag Radio. Welcome to Real Ag Radio here on Rural Radio 147, Sirius XM. Sean Haney, your host here on this Friday edition of the show. Hey, thanks so much for making Real Ag Radio and Rural Radio 147 a part of your workday. It's great to be a part of this just fantastic lineup of agricultural programming here on Rural Radio One Forty Seven, and also want to thank everybody that's also listening on the Real Ag Radio podcast. Okay, it's Friday, Real Ag Issues Panel. Here we go, Lindsey Smith, Kelvin Hepner, standing by. These weeks where the team is really on the road, it really, really, it is hard to fit it all into an hour. So we're, we're going to have to hustle to uh, get through some of this stuff. We're going to cover uh, as much as we possibly can. We're also going to hear today from Gord Kerbis. Now, he is with the Canada Grains Council. He was on a panel earlier this week in Saskatoon. I saw the panel talking about this Lambda Psi label change on feed use. Now, if you're growing canola... You, you're, you've, you're Probably this might be on your radar. For example, you, you can't use Silencer or Matador this year in, in 23. Okay? It's been pulled from the shelf. There's a lot of stuff happening here. A decision made by Health Canada that Gordon and I are going to get into that doesn't really add up, does not make a lot of sense. And Canada Grains Council is asking the Minister of Health to intervene and course correct this. There also is potential trade impacts as well on something like, say, U.S. corn coming north, U.S. DDGs coming north for our feeding industries. So, this is a big issue that it impacts the cropping industry, and it also impacts livestock. So, this is far-reaching. Uh, Gord is going to be here And he is going to break it all down And then we'll have uh, Like I said The, the Real Ag Issues panel We'll get to that in a whole lot more If you have any feedback On today's show We'd love to hear from you Send me an email shaney at realagriculture.com You can also find us Across all the different Social media platforms As Real Agriculture Or you can call The Real Ag Feedback Line That's right 855-776-6147 Let's take a break And when we come back We're going to get to Gord Curbis of Canada Grains Council
2: Right after this There's power, and then there's superpower. Take control. Eliminate weed competition. Start clean in spring. Manage weeds early in canola, cereals, pulses, and soybeans. The unstoppable superpower of pre from New Farm. Blackhawk, Conquer, Goldwing, Thunderhawk. Convenient formulations and multiple modes of action. Add more power to glyphosate. More benefits to your burndown. Go to newfarm.ca slash burndown. As you look ahead to the next growing season, there's a lot to consider when it comes to your crop. You need every possible advantage available to you. The Pulse School on realagriculture.com has everything you need to make the best choice for you and your farm. On-demand videos with leading industry experts available anywhere, anytime go into the season confident and ready with the pulse school on realagriculture.com
1: here's what wheat pete's word on realagriculture.com is all about in under 30 seconds
3: it's wheat time i love wheat time i love wheat get that
1: sulfur on get that seeding rate right get that nitrogen on your wheat right get that protein know your variety know when you need to put fungicides on pick your product pick your rate do the right job get this wheat crop right have a nice day grow amazing wheat sean haney here with realagriculture.com and RealAg radio Rural radio 147 sirius xm and i'm joined right now by gord Kerbis. he is with the canada grains council gord welcome to the show thanks sean
4: Okay, uh, Gordon, what do you do at Canada's Green Council? Uh, Everything related to chemistry. Uh, In the end, we don't want to no longer be able to use chemistry, either because our trading partners uh, eliminate the chemistry, uh, or maybe they've never approved it, and therefore apply the principle of zero tolerance uh, to anything that we're shipping to them. So we don't want to lose chemistries that way. And we also don't want to lose chemistries uh, because of regulatory considerations in Canada. Uh, which might be just process-based or related to delays and so on. We have a,
1: should I call it a precarious situation? I'm not sure the best way to describe it. But it, it, it has farmers in the industry concerned, which is for the 2023 growing season, they're no longer allowed to use the Lambda Psi products, Matador and Silencer, and uh, a lot of people are concerned about flea beetle control they're concerned about grasshoppers there are some other options but there is a cons- you know I, I would i'm putting kind of broad brush here but people are concerned they're losing a tool how did we get here to this point what what exactly has happened here between these the manufacturers of these of these products and pmra what's happened
4: well uh, to to take a couple of steps back cuz i think that's this one is a, a there's more to unpack on this one than the, on the average chemistry. Uh, but in the end, you're absolutely right. Uh, we're poised to lose this unless something changes. Uh, and we think that uh, it's going to be lost, not for scientific reasons, but for process-based reasons. And I'll, I'll describe that in a moment. So, Sean, here's, here's how I would call it. Uh, in April of 2021, PMRA released a final decision uh, saying that uh, all food uses were allowed... Uh, for uh, So, uh, land could be used on any crop uh, that was going to be consumed only for food, for human consumption, uh, but it couldn't be used on any crop uh, that was going to be fed. Um, and there's a 24-month implementation period. So, in April of 2023, uh, that decision will come into effect. Now, uh, in, in that 24-month uh, implementation period, there was a separate reinstatement decision that... Uh, No one could see a reason why that wouldn't go through uh, because the data was so solid. uh, But we just received abrupt notice about six and a half weeks ago from PMRA uh, that there were delays in timing. uh, And so that's not going to happen in time. So it looks like that uh, original April of 2021 decision is going to come into force in April of 2023 unless something changes.
1: Is there an opportunity for something to change in time for
4: this growing season or is that yet to be determined? Uh, that's yet to be determined. Um, so here's why we think the, the decision is fundamentally unworkable. It says if you've got a crop for food, uh, n- no problem. I mean, from a regulatory and scientific perspective at, at PMRA, there is no uh, human health or environmental safety concern about applying uh, lambda t- to your crop that's going to be used for food. But if it's used for feed, uh, then that use is disallowed. Gord, that just—I don't mean to interrupt you, but that seems without just
1: seems backwards to what I would expect. I would expect of UK, you, hey, you can't spray this on blueberries, but you can use it for feed. Is this a common? Does this happen where it's okay for food but not okay for feed uh, in other products?
4: Uh, it's not super common, but you know, for for, for various technical reasons, it, it happens from time to time, and this is one of the molecules that it happens to. you. When you say this is based on process.
1: If, if It sounds like it's, I don't know if it's a hiccup, but it, how do we unwind it? Um, we know that the manufacturers are hopeful. We, I've heard, they've talked about it on Real Agriculture. They're hopeful for being back in the market for 2024. Um, is this just, we need
4: time to unwind this process-oriented problem? short answer I think is, is yes uh, but just to take one step back so uh, there will be some people maybe listening to this radio uh, interview that aren't aware that every major field crop in Canada is used for both food and feed, not your agriculture audience which will already know that uh, right off the start but every major crop is used for both and then when you're in the field as a farmer uh, applying uh, a crop protection product you may not know uh, how that crop is going to be used, whether it's going to be used for food and feed six months' time from now, that decision being made by somebody else in the value chain. So that's the fundamental problem, uh, and it's, that means the decision is just fundamentally unworkable. Um, second thing, and this is why I call it process, uh, we have years of data from the Canadian Grain Commission showing that uh, lambda can't be detected in grain samples, and we've also got a whole bunch of uh, newer Samples uh, that show there is no, virtually no detection of any residue. So, once again, the PMRA is relying on what I would call modeling uh, instead of real world data. And as a result, uh, a coalition of producer and industry associations from grains, oil, seeds, pulses, special crops, dairy, beef, pork, horticulture, among others, have written to the Minister of Health asking him to delay impl- impl- implementation of its decision. Uh, or of Health Canada's decision through PMRA. Uh, and in, in using that delayed implementation time, we want the PMRA to uh, properly review and rely on the growing scientific evidence that demonstrates there is next to zero risk of finding any lambd residues on grain. Yeah,
1: and there are multiple examples that we could go through where, you know, to speak to exactly what you just said. I think of cold potatoes, right? They culled potatoes are and can be fed to beef animals at a feed yard but at the time you're growing the potatoes your intention is for those to be accepted by the processor and be used in the feed system but you know for whatever reasons they are rejected if this stays the way it is those cold potatoes that if they've been sprayed with a lambda product cannot be fed anymore to a feedlot That that's an example of how unworkable this is
4: yeah this reflects a growing concern that we have With a lack of understanding in regulatory circles of agronomy and the agriculture value chain. For the go
1: forward, in order to try to create, you know, rectify this situation, is it basically the industry working with Health Canada, the PMRA, to find a solution here to reverse this? Or is this something where, like we saw similar to, um, the situation where Health Canada was talking about changing the front, they had the warning labels, the front of label for beef and pork, they were talking about changing. And, and there was a political side that basically, you know, the, the, the public, the consumer was pretty outraged about it and Health Canada changed course. Is, is that where this is headed? Is where we're going to hear more about this in the public sphere?
4: Well, uh, in, in our letter, uh, we said, look, this is unworkable. Here's why. And we need a fix. When um, we pointed out that, for example, uh, the U.S. EPA came to the conclusion uh, that, yes, because of uh, the extreme unlikelihood of having residues detected, uh, Lambda continues to be registered for both food and feed uses in the U.S. Uh, so therefore, U.S. grain produced uh, will have been treated with land, Lambda, uh, but may not be eligible for import if the PMRA decision proceeds as it is. We don't think that government has thought through all the implications for trade, which could be massive.
1: So to, to expand on that, we're, we're talking about U.S. corn coming north on the CP uh, and going to feed yards wouldn't be eligible, according to the, the way this is today. DDGs, another example, uh, that's... That, that, All of a sudden, an issue that we were talking about from the standpoint of flea beetles and grasshoppers, this is a much bigger football game that we're talking about here than just dealing with a couple insects.
4: Yeah, this decision uh, has the room to create a lot of havoc and confusion in the marketplace, uh, and there are a lot of unknowns, such as how uh, the food-feed distinction would be enforced on DDGs, corn, soy, etc., that would be coming up uh, from the U.S., and, and so there's an urgency to all of this as farmers are clearly buying inputs now for the 2023 growing season and they don't have a clear picture of what will or will not be allowed by government.
1: Gord, you understand this far better than, than I. Just to help me out if this is a really dumb question. Why, why does real residue results not trump modeling? If we're relying on modeling... Why is that information seem to be more important than,
4: hey, we can't actually find any residue levels? You know what, Sean, I I wish I had a better answer than to say we don't know. Um, We certainly think uh, that the real world data, including uh, many years of data having been generated by the government of Canada itself through the Canadian Grain Commission, showing no detectable residues, uh, that absolutely should be the cornerstone of the decision, and it, it's not.
1: We talk a lot here on real agriculture across many different issues, where we speak about you know unintended consequences. It feels like this one is very much littered with exactly that. From a ministerial perspective, is there any opportunity for the the political side to get involved and show? Some perspective in leadership when it comes to trying to prevent uh, a
4: pretty serious situation from developing even further uh so sean in the end uh, you, you know if we had regulators uh, listening to interview like this we would say we really really rely on the pmra to make uh science-based decisions which they do uh, we also need uh, timely decisions that give us a measure of regulatory predictability like look look, this is what's coming down the pipeline uh, and when uh, and we need those decisions to be workable and so not all those pieces add up uh, on this decision and it looks like a a mess is going to be created as a result Uh, and all of this is avoidable uh, but that requires an immediate decision from the minister.
1: Minister of Health. Yes, that's correct. Yeah. Is there any space here for Minister Bibo and AFC to be involved, or is that this is totally outside of their, their sphere? It's related,
4: but it's the Minister of Health jurisdiction.
1: Gord, thanks a lot for joining us here today. Appreciate you. You did a great job yesterday on the panel uh, talking to growers about this, and I appreciate you joining us here today. Thanks very much, Sean. When we come back on Real Ag Radio, we'll get the reaction to the things that Gord Kerbis said there in that interview. We'll be joined by Lindsay Smith, Kelvin Hepner. Coming up, you're listening to Real Ag Radio, Roll Radio 147, Sirius XM.
2: We call ourselves Canola Master because we want every canola grower to achieve growing perfection. That's why we're launching the 160 Acres of Gold Giveaway and giving you a chance to win everything essential for 160 acres of canola, including agronomy, premium seed, use of our most advanced seed drill, fertilizer, crop protection, and everything essential for harvest. Master your canola with the 160 Acres of Gold Giveaway. Conditions apply. Learn more at canolamaster.ca. In the last decade plus, we've seen quite a significant rise in genetic
5: potential for yield with some of these newer varieties. Look forward to bigger yields uh, and better protein profiles as well.
2: On a per ton basis, because we're producing more and more grain on on every acre of land. Our energy use in the last 30 years has declined by 30%.
0: That's an incredible story.
1: Keep up with all the latest in wheat at The Wheat School on realagriculture.com.
2: The Corn School on realagriculture.com has everything you need to take your crop to the next level. Want expert agronomic advice? The Corn School brings you top-notch expertise. Want the latest research? The Corn School brings you cutting-edge research through conference coverage, trial results, and more. And the best part? It's all free and available on your smartphone, laptop, or device anywhere, anytime. The Corn School on realagriculture.com, brought to you by BASF and Pride Seeds.
1: Real Ag Radio here on this Friday. This segment's brought to you by Canola Master. We call ourselves Canola Master because we want every canola grower to achieve absolute growing perfection perfection sounds good i like that master your canola with the 160 acres of gold giveaway enter today at canolamaster.ca conditions apply you're running out of time if you have not entered because the draw is coming up very very soon let's get to the panel bring them in first up it is kelvin hefner coming out of shoot six in altona manitoba kelvin welcome back
5: Thank you. Uh, good to be here. Doing well, and looking forward to uh, Manitoba Egg Days next week. I believe that's where that big canola master draw is happening. Yeah, We're the last place to enter, I believe.
1: It is the last place to enter. The draw is that's the
5: week it. after. After. Okay. Yeah,
1: yeah, and it's going to happen here on this show, like on Real Ag Radio. They're going to make the the draw. It's going to be so much fun. I'm looking forward to it. You're hey. Uh, well, we get to St. Jane farm days in a second here. I'm, I'm glad you're here. Uh, also, Lindsay Smith out of Ottawa, Ontario. Lindsay, welcome back.
3: I don't get a shoot. I want to shoot. Shoot three. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Lift and reach boys. Lift and reach. Okay. Um. Yeah. No, thank you. I'm excited. This has been a very busy week and it is just, it feels like the before times, Sean. It you know like, it does. Yeah, I it said
1: does. The, the weeks like this week we were like we had Kara down in St. Louis, at the no-till conference. Uh, a bunch of us were at crop production show. Calvin was at St. Jean Farm Days. Byrne was somewhere too. So yeah, he was at
3: the uh, the CCA conference. Oh yeah, right. That's what it was. So, yep. Yes. We're everywhere. Out and about. Love uh, it.
1: Yeah. Love it. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. And we'll try to capture what I love. And I said this in the opening of the show, you just, I, I love the connection, like getting out and able to connect with a lot of our audience. I just feel like there is so many things happening right now. And a lot of that is, uh, is going to, we're going to try to get to as much as we can here. So let, 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 let's get rolling. Um, we just heard from Gord Kerbis from uh, Canada Grains Council. And I appreciate uh, Gore doing that interview. Kelvin, this is the perfect example of making potentially a decision in isolation, you know, changing the label on an insecticide for feed use and creating an entire poop storm of unattended consequences that were not potentially initially thought about. What are your thoughts?
5: Exactly that. I, I, you summed it up there. It, this decision appears to have been made in isolation back in 2021 when it was first made. And now it takes effect in April of 2023, taking Matador and Silencer off the market, at least in, in Western Canada. In Ontario, it doesn't appear that's the case. In Eastern Canada, it doesn't appear that's the case. But yeah, all kinds of unintended consequences here, as we just heard from Gordon in the, the previous segment, when it comes to... Uh, uh, inconsistencies in terms of how it's the rules are being applied and expectations on producers, on retail, on grain companies in terms of what they're doing with this grain uh, or crops, whether it goes to feed or, or food. There's also the issues around trade that uh, Kerbis also outlined there where that's something we haven't heard a lot of discussion about until uh, more recently here but uh, the potential of course we uh, in the past have imported large amounts of feed grains from uh, from the u.s where the epa that's another inconsistency in this is the difference between pmra and epa's interpretation of uh, of whether lambda psi insecticides should be uh, or the effect that they have or, or i guess the yeah whether they can be whether they're an issue or not and uh, and so now we could have u.s feed grains that normally come north Potentially having been treated with Lambda psi and and what happens? Are they allowed to uh, still be imported into Canada to supply feed to uh, the livestock sector, especially in Western Canada?
1: So many inconsistencies, and and it, like during the whole NAFTA renegotiation, we talked about, hey, you know, we can't make changes because we're an inter- integrated value chain, and you know, we really depend on each other, and
5: and then we Regulatory get to some harmonization.
1: Yeah, well, this is not that. No, This is the opposite of that. And, and this is why regulatory harmonization is so important. And when you don't have it, you have situations like this. And, and one of the other situations of inconsistency, Lindsay, is for some reason, the Canadian Shield is like a barrier for a consistent strategy when it comes to who can use the product and who can't. I, I, I'm a little bit uh, befuddled here as well.
3: Well, absolutely. And I'm getting, I'll be honest, as the further I dig into this, the more I'm getting like neonic flashbacks, okay? So bear with me here because I start to get a little excited. But I'm not sure why, but there are going to be complete, completely different strategies for these products East and West. So Western Canada, sorry, you don't get it. But Ontario, you can have access, but you have to promise not to use it on any crop that will eventually be fed to livestock and somehow you're supposed to have a crystal ball to know that that's where that crop is going to end up including any byproducts so what do i mean by that i reached out to syngenta to their rep to to clarify because this made no sense to me and i clarified i said okay so the label includes potatoes oats barley so many so many crops on this label but for food for human consumption only it means and this is so i'm going to read the response okay that matador use is still permitted in oats barley and wheat in eastern canada the key point will be so the key point is that end users must not feed any part of treated crops to livestock how on earth does a potato grower an an Oat grower, a a barley grower, know with absolute certainty that every acre, every speck that they produce won't at some point potentially not make grade and have to find a new home. That's completely unworkable. So it essentially means yes, it's still approved, but it also means no, you can't use it. That's really what that means. And then let's go a step further. Let's talk about that Canadian Shield. In Western Canada, I do somewhat understand. And, you know, we've had this discussion about it being used on canola. Canola meal exclusively, for the most part, fed to livestock. So right there, that's a problem. Okay, fine. But it's it's registered for a whole bunch of other crops that are largely food uses that may also end up with a byproduct or screenings or or downgraded crop ending up as feed. So in the West, though, apparently we can't trust farmers to do the right thing. But in the East, we're cool. It makes no sense. I, like, no sense to me at all. Yeah. So I'm having Neonic flashbacks because it honestly <laughs> what, feels what, what, like a bit of a workaround of basically, as an industry, everybody going, Nope, we can't make the label. So we're just not going to use it. And what? we remove another insecticide from the option.
1: Well, and the part that the part that Gordon and I talked about is that why the modeling is, is the mm. trump over top of actual residue results. That's the part that is, I, I, someone needs to explain that to me. He said, we don't know. Uh, I, I'm not putting that on Gord. I, I, want somebody at health canada to to uh to explain that and you know and,
3: and we have asked sean so yeah, that yeah, is yeah. maybe one thing for our, our audience to keep tabs on this obviously um i'm hosting the radio show next week so as we get updates i will share them there as well um and there's more to come on on the website as well as we follow up because we have a lot of these questions out there to our regulatory bodies to get answers as to how this decision was even made This so we'll see
1: go ahead kelvin
5: I think this is also an example of an issue which we come across fairly often in agriculture where something is quite technical in nature, especially to somebody who doesn't work in agriculture and even to us, this is quite technical, never mind somebody who has no familiarity with, uh, with products used for controlling pests and crops. Uh, so I think this is an example where some of those key decision makers that actually have a, a big picture view, such as the health minister himself, do. Uh, it's quite technical and there's a, a learning curve involved. And I, I think we sometimes uh, come up against this barrier of, of the technical aspects of agriculture not being well enough understood outside of our little silo here.
1: It, I think it's really important that livestock farm groups, you know, like the CCAs of the world, they get super involved here. I also think it's critical. I think it's it's you know, one of the scenarios as we talk about the trade impacts with the US because we are so integrated. We need you know, some of those same parallel groups on the US side of the border to be phoning the trade minister and health canada saying, uh, excuse me, what exactly are you doing? This reminds me so much, it gives you neo nick flashbacks Lindsay. I think of the front of the package beef labeling or the like mm-hmm. the, the warning labels on how it is like, we, we're going to do this. And then there's like, what about this, 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 how it doesn't make sense.
5: Yeah. It's and, where and a I... decision is made by a specialist, an expert in such a narrow field. And they, like you said, Sean, they make this decision in isolation. And the big picture, it needs to be understood by people in the big picture who have a better understanding of all the unintended consequences around that uh, that also happen. And there, that example we saw intervention from a higher level. And that's what Gord's talking about, whether there's a possibility of intervention at a higher level here from the minister's office.
3: Lindsay, wrap it up. Yeah. I just want to quickly point out that, because some people have said like, why didn't we have this debate in 2021 when the label came out? And I do want to point out that the issues with this label change were identified, um, but uh, Syngenta and others were in the process because you can um, put in for basically an exemption or a change. It, they, That did happen. It's just that why we're talking about this now is that in late November, we found out that PMRI said, no, they were sticking with the label regardless of all the work that went in to try and get it reversed. So I just did want to point that out.
1: Yeah. And there also is, I, I heard from a few growers this week when I was out in Saskatchewan saying that, well, yeah, we can still use it in 23. You
3: can't. Well, you can if you follow the label, but where you, you also have to get it. So yeah. the label, right? So the label still stands whether the product will be sold or not, but you have to adhere to the new label, whether you bought it in 2023 or in 2022. And that label states it cannot be used for anything that will be fed to livestock. So yes, technically you can use it, um, but you would run contra- contravene to the label potentially.
5: We're going to take and a break. A declaration.
1: Yeah, yeah you're right. That's
3: right. That's yes. right.
1: Yeah. Yeah, um, make sure you're talking to your agron. If you're out in Western Canada, make sure you're talking to your agronomist, your retailer. You because this is this is a fluid situation. Need to stay on top of it. Make sure that you're talking to those uh, to those experts you rely on to uh, make sure that you're you're doing the right thing. Okay, let's take a break. When we come back, we got more to chat about. We got a three amigo summit to chat about. We got some inflation data out of the U.S that and a whole oh hey, what about f- the future farm groups there's that one too <laughs> we'll be right back you're listening to Real Ag Radio Rural Radio 147 Sirius XM
0: The Advancing Women Conference the National Leadership Conference for Women in Agriculture is celebrating 10 years of bringing women and ag together Calling all producers, students, entrepreneurs, representatives of grower associations, and corporate agribusiness to gather in Calgary on March 12th, 13th, and 14th. Visit advancingwomenconference.ca for more information and to register.
1: Canola and its beautiful bright yellow flower blankets the prairies every growing season with 20 million plus acres. There's one place you need to go to get all your canola agronomic information, canolaSchool.com. That's where you'll find all you need to know about seeding, disease, weeds, and insects, harvest and marketing. Engaging in informative content all at your fingertips when you need the information. Visit canola brought to you by Invigor Hybrid Canola and BSF Canada. Before we get back to the Real Ag Issues panel, let's talk about farmingtheweb.ca. It's a practical, free, and user-friendly classified site for farmers to buy and sell their agriculture projects online. Now with new and improved features to make your experience even better. Visit farmingtheweb.ca. Sean Haney, Kelvin Hepner, Lindsay Smith. Hey, Kelvin, how was St. Jean Farm Days this week?
5: Ah, it was. I, I enjoyed it. It's always one of my favorite, uh, maybe my the top of my list of favorite farm shows. It's kind of in my backyard here in Southern Manitoba, and it's a small town hall, and they they pack it full of trade show booths and uh, farmers. And so, yeah, it was good to have it back after uh, a two year hiatus. And I'd say uh, farmers were excited to to be back at a, at the show and have it on, but. Uh, the market outlooks and some of the presentations about uh, costs and expenses and where things are headed in twenty twenty three economically uh, not as not as rosy as uh, as everything them. else at the, at the meeting,
1: <laughs> really? because it so it was interesting because at uh, crop production show, I heard Chuck Penner give a market update. I caught the one on uh, wheat and pulses. I thought he was somewhat uplifting. Like he had a positive look. At uh, kind of in line with what we saw y- yesterday's uh, USDA report. What, okay. what, what were you hearing at St. Jean?
5: So the keynote that I heard yesterday was from Brad Magnuson of Magnuson Consulting. He kind of does, uh, well, he does market analysis for credit unions across Canada on the agricultural side of things. And so his uh, his outlook is that we're headed for a recession and uh, inflation is going to remain high for longer than people think. And uh, along with... Uh, He he looks at oil prices or energy prices as a a leading indicator of where we're headed in commodities. And if you look at that, then uh, we're on the way down or on the backside of a super cycle, he thinks. And so uh, we're, yeah, basically his advice is... Lock in price of futures or lock in pre-sell uh, book stuff for fall as as you can at this point because really we're headed lower, so more of a bearish outlook definitely. But yeah. that's the thing. There's uh, there uh, there's room for many opinions on where the markets are headed.
3: So, but also if I can jump in, yeah. he also exactly that does a lot of consulting for the lender side. So, a bit of a different maybe risk management lens to look yeah. at things versus the other. But I would say Sean, I agree. You know, Chuck was pretty. Pretty positive on on some things, so much as demand side. I think um, on the pulse side, just because you know. Also, I think part of that is Canada will have some to sell this year and next year. Um, so that's probably so that's probably a good thing. Um, but yeah, so interesting to see the the sort of the the recession and the inflation and the cost side. I think I think you're right, Calvin. That that we we can't um, ignore that part. And.
5: Another presentation I took in yesterday. Manitoba Agriculture every year puts together their cost of production estimates and profitability forecasts for all the different crops that are grown here in Manitoba in Western Canada, and so uh, they presented their 2023 numbers. And uh, and even there, uh, sure prices are high, but there's a lot riding on getting yield to uh, to cover your costs here. It's uh, like yield certainty is is worth a ton right now with the risk in the market, which is something that we already right. faced in 2022. But it's certainly like the range, your, what you get for yield, there's a, a wide range in what your profitability or, or loss could look like uh, completely dependent on yield. But
1: similar to Ontario, and I know I'm going to get emails from Manitoba, I'm sorry, you have a lot higher probability of that working out than say if you're
5: in the Palace or Triangle. Like try farming in Swift Current. Yeah, but those risks are reflected in land values and your costs in other places. So it is, yeah. I you can, I I think it balances the market balances that out in in different areas, such as land values or rent prices.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's there's opportunity though. if, yeah, if like defense. to your point, that's my if, defensive if, response. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> defensive. If if you uh, yeah, it, when you pencil it. Like, if you pencil it out though there's there's an opportunity this year to make money again on the cropping side we heard from Wilco Van Mile yesterday in the from Rapid Fire and talking about you know if he when he looks at the P&L of his livestock you know his his, his cow calf operation versus his farming operation it's really hard for the cow calf side of that business to even come close to the potential uh, and the margins that are being seen right now on the cropping side, Lindsay. This continues to be this. This is the reality uh, across not just the cow calf sector, but I'm sure you could throw a lot of different kind of livestock in into that same sort of comparison mix. Where it there's a lot of challenges for the cropper, but it's much better to be a cash cropper right now from a profitability standpoint than livestock.
3: Mm-hmm. So I know. At- and Welco does a good job of sort of, you know, explaining some of these things, but um, try being a sheep farmer. Cheaper. <laughs> I just finished I just finished her year-end, and it hurts. I got to tell you. Um, so, because one of the things, exactly that, in the livestock sector, of course, um, so for us specifically, for the for the lamb market, like, prices tanked last year. So you had increasing uh, costs, just like everybody else had to deal with, whether it was your diesel, or your fertilizer, or what, um, and increasing costs, but actually... You know, land prices tank last year. So yeah, it's it's definitely tough, but to that point, you do have to make the production. And you do need a sharp pencil. You do need to plan ahead. You've got to make use of the risk management tools in pricing that exist, um, both to the cost and to the 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 income side. And that, of course, brings us into, I'm going to put in a little plug because I think it's going to be a fun one and lots of discussion from it, uh, the discussion of budgeting. So do you make a budget? And if so, where does it live? That is one of the questions we're asking this week on Real egg. And, and uh, it's a good one, I think. Where does yours live? My budget? Yeah. So, mine does exist, actually, on a laptop. It is a spreadsheet. I asked my partner, Chris, where does our budget exist? And he said, what's a budget? (laughs) So, that just... Now, he's somewhat tongue-in-cheek, but that is the difference between us. His, His would exist in his head, and it probably requires 30% inflationary figures to the top and bottom. Um but mine is mine is on the laptop and I show it to him and then he ignores it. So
1: I I I, that's know, our I, I can only imagine what Kelvin's budget looks like. He he's pretty analytical. He's probably got some oh. calculus calculations involved. He's got all the sensitivity analysis broken down. He, he he's go. probably really ripping a good Are we off. right,
3: Kelvin?
5: No. Are we right? No, it's not <laughs> It's 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 usually kind of haphazard and not all the numbers are updated and yeah I, I it's something I've been trying to work on here this winter but things are getting busy again so yeah yeah but it's uh, yeah. I I do have it on computer I use actually use a software program for it so okay. it is, it's it's not just in my head but uh, yeah it's it's uh, a tough one it it requires it, some work yeah
1: as an entrepreneur and a lot of our audience is that this is a common thing like you know this is like. I think all entrepreneurs in any industry, this, you could ask this question like, you know, and, and so, and what a budget that works for Lindsay would be different works for Calvin, the different that works for, for, for me and uh, all of you out there. So it's, it's, but you know, going through the numbers, I think is the, the at least have it down somewhere mm-hmm. and refer to it. There's a whole bunch of stuff. We've, we've got a mind your farm business uh, about budgeting. So check that out at mindyourfarmbusiness.com. Uh, Kelvin. Oh, I hate, I wanted to hit uh, quickly on the impacts of avian influenza and some of the impacts on prices. You, we were kind of chatting this morning through text about the, one of the impacts has been on egg prices and we're seeing big differences between Canada and the U S in terms of where prices have been in the last 12 months.
5: Yeah, there's been a lot of attention, mainstream attention, social media uh l- talking about egg prices and and how expensive eggs are right now and a lot of that is out of the US I think because in Canada we look at the CPI data from the US uh new information this week showing egg prices up 59.9% this or in December or, sorry, November to November I believe that is. So uh That's a 60% increase, whereas in Canada, our latest CPI data from Stats Canada shows only a 16, which is still large uh, historically, Mm -hmm. but it's a 16% increase in egg prices in Canada, according to StatsCan, the latest numbers there. So, Mm. yeah, that's quite a difference. And on the chicken side of things, the impact of AI hasn't been that stark. In the U.S., I believe... I talked about it last week on the show. I think it was 13% year over year uh, for U.S. chicken prices or poultry prices increasing, whereas Canada was closer to 9 or 10%, a few mm-hmm. percentage points lower. So, But I, I do think that this is an example uh, that uh, everyone who likes to criticize supply management and say that it costs Canadians more, I think this is an example right now of a scenario where uh, that uh, coordination in the market does lead to some more predictability for consumers pricing on the pricing side of things as well.
1: Yeah. Lindsay, we saw some U S CPI CPI numbers, I should say out this week, kind of makes us wonder kind of where the federal reserve goes forward. Uh, We may see a bit of a slowdown, I guess, maybe in the size of the rates. Like maybe we'll park the 50s and the 75 basis points and stick to 25s. And obviously, we're watching where all that goes in Canada here as well on this inflation. Inflation is still a a topic that's going to be discussed, I think, regularly on the show.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Unfortunately, much to my chagrin anyway, because it's not my favorite topic, but it does its certainly exactly that. We are not past this at all. Um, And but when we when we start to put together all of the different numbers, so the jobs numbers and the CPI and all these sorts of things, um, I, I really do think we're going to have a hard time not continuing to increase rates. I think you're probably right at a slower rate. And and maybe we are getting to the end of the increases. But um, I, I wouldn't be betting on there not being another one or two or more in the mix uh, for the next little while. Um, and I just want to quickly on this topic of very expensive eggs. I will say the memes on the fancy chickens wearing, you know, name brand purses and the whole bit because of the price of eggs are really quite amazing. There's,
5: so there's a good one everyone. about... Uh... Eggs. Somebody's made. There's a farm. I believe they're in the states. They made one uh, comparing egg dealers to uh, the show Narcos uh, and <laughs> and the cartel.
3: Yeah, so, it's amazing. Yeah. It's, it's
5: quite funny, even if it's not. St- uh, even if it's not
3: funny. Yeah, far
5: from from real, but yeah, it's, yeah. It's uh,
3: but pretty still good. a
1: relatively relatively cheap protein.
3: It is, oh absolutely and fantastic protein. But I do want to. I mean, my hat goes off to to the supply management system under this. Discussion and Calvin's right. Supply management often gets a lot of hate for all sorts of different reasons, but I think what we could look, and I'm sure there will be master's projects that do look at it, is especially in a crisis like avian influenza, having more control over supply actually, especially with something with a relatively tight turnaround, like laying hens and 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 chicken and these sorts of things. um, Having that added oversight can actually really buffer the response to it. So I I would say it's a good. New story certainly for the canadian uh, feather industries for sure
1: hmm. if 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 only we could have the same sort of cost control when it comes to the difference between canadian and u.s beer
5: prices
3: um okay but what about iceberg so we lettuce?
5: Do. That's, those are taxes which are controllable <laughs> yeah, by government
3: yeah okay but honestly has anyone tried to buy lettuce like it's who wants iceberg lettuce for five bucks a head that's ridiculous i'd rather pay ten bucks for eggs anyway mm. carrying on
1: we gotta take a break. When we come back, we're gonna talk right to repair, as well as will we see more consolidation going forward when it comes to farm groups. You're listening to Real Ag Radio. It's the Real Ag Issues Panel. Be right back.
2: If you're involved in the agriculture industry, it's important to stay informed on all the latest issues affecting your business at realagriculture.com. We offer fast, reliable news, information, and insights to help you keep on top of all of the latest in Canadian agriculture. Visit realagriculture.com and sign up for our free daily newsletter covering everything from news, agronomy, animal agriculture, and much more. Visit realagriculture.com forward slash subscribe today.
1: Want to get the best out of your soybean crops? Whether you've been growing them for a generation or are just starting into soybeans, find what you need to know at soybeanschool.com. You'll see videos on growing tips, pest control, and much more from specialists across the region, all in one place. Easy for you to access from your desktop, tablet, or mobile phone. Maximize your yields by staying up to date with the Soybean School, presented by BASF, Pride Seeds, and Syngenta Canada. Welcome back to Real Ag Radio. Last segment before we head into the weekend. Hey, Monday, markets are closed. It is Martin Luther King Jr. Day on Monday in the U.S., so the markets are closed. I, I know on U.S. holidays where we don't have a Canadian holiday, my email flow reduces significantly. So, maybe it'll be a, a super productive day. Hey, I want to mention Heads Up Seed Treatment. Protect your beans from rhizotonia, root rot, white mold, and SDS with Heads Up. Visit your nearest AgriMart location or visit HeadsUpST.com to learn more Sean Haney, Kelvin Hepner, Lindsey Smith. Uh, hey Kelvin, American Farm Bureau meeting happened in Puerto Rico at the. It was I think it was on Sunday, Monday, and uh, an interesting agreement on right to repair between the Farm Bureau
5: and John Deere, and
1: potential positives for Canadian producers.
5: Yeah, I think there will probably be some downstream effects that are benefits for for Canadian producers here if this deal stands as it's intended to. Uh, there is some skepticism around it. Uh, certainly, it is seen as a milestone in the, the whole right-to-repair movement and ensuring that farmers have a right-to-repair. This is something that we haven't seen a major manufacturer like John Deere uh, do in the past. So for them to sign this memorandum of understanding with the Farm Bureau saying that they're going to give U.S. farmers and their mechanics, access to uh, diagnostic and repair codes, manuals, product guides, diagnostic tools. Uh, that is a, a step in the right direction for those that want to ensure farmers have the right to repair equipment that they they own. Uh, of course, that whether farmers what farmers all own, that's something that deer would probably dispute when it comes to software and some of the new technology that we've seen over the last five, 10 years added to tractors and equipment. But yeah, this MOU is seen as a, a step in the right direction for the right-to-repair movement from the Advocates for Right-to-Repair, but it is also uh, has some uh, some details here, such as enforcement. What There isn't much for enforcement mechanism in this MOU, as uh, really it's just withdrawal by either side. DEER could withdraw from the deal with only 15 days' notice if any state or federal government in the U.S. enacts legislation or regulation that applies to issues that are covered in the agreements. So there's also a clause in there that the Farm Bureau has agreed for its part of the deal to refrain from promoting federal or state right to repair legislation at the state level. And so that's where uh, we'll have to see how this deal unfolds, whether it uh, it has the intended benefit to American farmers. And we, of course, for Canadian farmers, I think – uh, a lot of what shows up for Americans on the market, we benefit here in Canada as well. If it's something, the document or diagnostic tool that's available to American farmers, uh, the border usually isn't too much of a, a hurdle for accessing it for Canadian farmers as well. So I, th- I do think that if, if this ends up being the case where deer is providing more information than they have in the past or than they would otherwise to us farmers. I think Canadian farmers could benefit from that as well. So we'll have to see how it unfolds. They do say that our farm bureau is in talks with other manufacturers as well. So they're hoping to announce right to repair agreements with other manufacturers in the, in the coming months as well.
1: I want to, thanks for that. I I want to squeeze in discussion about farm group amalgamation. Lindsay, we got, I got a column posted at realagriculture.com. Encourage everybody to check it out, identifying the five forces that are going to push more farm group amalgamation in the years ahead. I'm not saying right away, but over the course of time, I encourage everybody to check that out. Lindsay, what's your position on this? Do you you think we're going to see more amalgamation going forward?
3: Well, so the short answer is yes, but I want to back up one more step because we, we also have this conversation. We... This is an observation and a discussion that I think is really important to have, but also recognizing that we're not talking about the value of farm groups. We're talking about the pressure and the forces at play that that are making amalgamation or consolidation, if you want to put it that way, uh, a reality. And so, you know... It one of the key things I think that really is making, that is really driving this and will continue to drive this is A, economics and efficiency, because especially for some of the smaller groups, some of the smaller crop types or livestock types, um, it's difficult to get that critical mass. You have to spend so much money just on admin. Uh, there's not a lot left over to commit to maybe long-term research or long-term projects. Uh, it makes it really difficult to, to do some of the bigger picture things. And then the second one, and yes, we name five, but I think the one that maybe is driving this as well is... Yes, there are still lots of farmers. Don't get me wrong. But realistically, there are fewer every year. And if you look at engagement, engagement can sometimes really, really sag for some organizations. And and we all get a little tired sometimes. So if I grow four different crops, do I really need to go to four different AGMs? Chances are I'm going to decide to pick one or two. And it's probably going to be my two biggest either profit drivers or acreage base or whatever. And that makes sense. So, but realistically, a lot of the issues that plague, you know, those top two probably also impact the other two. And so why not sort of bring these together? It's at least worth a discussion. And in certain instances, as we've already seen, and I think we will continue to see, it really does make sense to consolidate, to amalgamate, to work together.
1: Yeah, I I would not. I'm not questioning the value at all uh we talked about this issue with lambda Psi. Cory Leeson who is on um you know been heavily involved with with commodity board's uh, SAS pulse pulse Canada he pointed out in the panel that he was on with Gord Curbis this is why we have farm groups is to make is to prevent things like this going through and to change bad decisions when they do happen kelvin uh, Manitoba Crop Alliance is one of the examples we used in the article. The GFO was another one. Um, you know, we. What's your thoughts on this uh, paradigm?
5: Oh I think it's it's inevitable that things continue to move in in this direction as uh, we look for more efficiencies, both in terms of the number of people involved on on these boards, the number of farmers that are willing to and put their names names forward uh, is is not increasing so uh, that's that's part of it, like Lindsay said and then also to focus on the issues and and even to uh, have a politician who can pick and choose which group he wants to listen to and which priorities wants to focus on has can do whatever they want. Whereas if you have a large lobby group that is, is unified and and brings forward an entire industry's perspective, I think that has a lot more sway in terms of political influence and, and shaping those policies and having a voice in, uh, in legislative buildings as well.
3: Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's definitely one of the things that I, I think does come up every once in a while, especially on some of the tougher issues is, you know, when you look at who gets lobbied on Parliament Hill and and how many meetings they have, and, and then you look at how many different groups, and you start to wonder, like, could we have maybe had a bigger impact if, um you know, it wasn't split between all these different groups? So, yeah, so definitely there's potential there, I think, especially on some of these big points. Uh, if you're one organization, you yeah. do a lot of that background work to be on the same page. Well, look at Alberta.
1: We have Alberta wheat now that's now going to merge with Alberta barley. But at one time, Alberta wheat was how, what four or five different organizations across all the different wheat types. Like, so this change has been happening. It's not like we've been living in this moment for forever. So read the article, everybody check it out. Realagriculture.com and let us know how you feel about the topic. There's also a poll inside that post as well. And it looks like a lot of farmers are open to investigating this further. Hey, Calvin, have yourself a great weekend. Thanks everyone else as well. Take care. And Lindsay, all the best to you.
3: Yes. And we'll see everybody next week.
1: Absolutely. Lindsay be hosting next week. Cause I'm, mm-hmm. I'm off. I'm, I'm out. I'm out on assignment as they Mm -hmm. say in the biz. So uh, if you have any feedback, you can send me an email, shaney at realagriculture.com. You can also call the Real Ag feedback line. The number is 855-776-6147. Thanks everybody for getting real and getting connected with Real Ag Radio. And we will chat again on, well, you you won't chat with me, but you'll chat with Lindsay. (laughs) Have a great weekend, everybody.
0: Thank you for downloading this episode of Real Ag Radio brought to you by Intruvix Herbicide from FMC. Intruvix Herbicide for Cereals delivers outstanding control of the toughest broadleaf weeds like volunteer canola, narrow leaved hawksbeard, and kochia, including groups 2 and 9 resistant biotypes. See your local retailer today.